It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. How curious do you think you are as a Christian? We're going to meet the author, Dr. Casey Tigret. He has a book called Becoming Curious, a spiritual practice of asking questions. And just so you know, uh, Casey is the, uh, the teaching pastor at Heartland Community Church in Rockford, Illinois. And he's also the spiritual director and an adjunct seminary professor at Lincoln Christian University and Seminary. Welcome to the program, sir. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's an interesting subject. I mean, becoming curious, you mentioned that we start off being curious as kids, and all of a sudden we become adults. Something hardens in us, you know, like that fun of Disney World where we look at the world as a kid, and then as an adult, I don't know, we become jaded. What happens to us? How come we stop being curious? Ah, I I think it, I hate to make a broad brush and say it's the same with everybody, but I do think there's some similar things that happen to all of us. Um, the Probably the biggest of which is we get busy. And curiosity takes time, it takes energy. It's not a quick kind of process. It's something we have to sit with and, and work through. And for most of us, we've got a lot of demands and responsibilities, whether that's relationally or professionally. We're raising kids, we're taking kids to and from practices or rehearsals or recitals. And so we start looking really for things that will work or that are functional. So I think that's one part. The other part, I think, is uh, just how how the idea of not being an expert is perceived. Um, we love experts. We love people who can tell us exactly what the story is or what the facts are. And so we like to be perceived as that. Like we know what we're doing. We have our life together. We have our uh, all of our, our our plans set and all of our details straight. And so there's some of curiosity that's kind of an image thing to say. If if I ask a question, by asking a question, if it's a good question, it assumes that the other people can assume in the room that you don't know. Hmm. So one of the hardest things for us, whether it's in and I see this in people of faith and people who are, are not people of faith. Uh, one of the hardest things for us to do is be perceived as not knowing what's going on. Then when you add the faith component to that, it just raises the ante. Yeah, we're really super spiritual once we think we know it all, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> you point to the, and then yeah. it never ends poorly, of course. Yeah, right. You know, that's for sure. Well, you know, I think about myself, you know, growing up with uh, ADHD and not wanting to raise my hand and, you know, one of the kids that you don't want to be perceived getting it wrong. But in the end, it comes out that, you know, you have to be vulnerable. And isn't it that vulnerability that Jesus is looking for? That's kind of what you drive home in your book, that when we're vulnerable, uh, willing to be that way with the Lord, then you know, he gives and gives more, you know. But for the ones, let's just say like the Pharisees or the Sadducees, when you think you know it at all, you know, you don't get to know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I find it interesting that when Jesus came, he had plenty of he had plenty of people to choose from who he was going to call to him, to follow him and to become these world changing disciples. And he could have chosen from the experts and he didn't. Instead he chose he chose people who would be good disciples, people who knew they didn't know and so therefore needed to ask. And so he chose the kind of people who are humble enough to become students and to become learners. And and you see that there's that there's that trajectory all through the Bible, whether it's David, who's just an incredibly uh, a person who's incredibly flawed, but inc- incredibly close to, to God's desires and God's heart, who asks in the Psalms just question upon question. And some of them are 
lament, and some of them are, um, you know, crying out kind of kind of prayers. And he's asking because it's not because he's not faithful, but because he is, and he just doesn't understand how faith, things like faith and suffering or or faith and challenges actually fit together. Mm. And so instead of just saying, well, I just need to get through this, you know, he comes to the one who could answer that question or at least provide some comfort in the midst of the asking. Well, the ultimate test of curiosity, you mentioned this, you're a young dad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that you talk about your daughter having a fascination with licking the back of your hand? <laughs> and I, that's what I thought. I was like, okay, where's it going with this here? You know, so you're thinking, okay, I'm tracking with her. She's curious. You know, I got a book on becoming curious. So where are we going with this whole thing? And so um, I thought it was kind of neat. You said, you know, uh, she kind of has a genetic disposition of me. I have to take care of her. And so what's up with this? But yet you didn't want to, I guess, impede upon her curiosity. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah, yeah, the story, and it, it's funny because one of these days when she's older, I'm going to have to explain why yeah. I just made it into a book, I'm right. sure. Either that or she'll explain it to her therapist, yeah. um, which is okay. If she needs to do that, great. Uh, it's it's the idea of how you know, the, the part of the book where we're talking about forgiveness, and I think forgiveness is a place where uh, it's one of those challenging subjects, but it's also one where I think we ask the least the least amount of curious questions and the most functional questions. We really want to program. If we want to forgive somebody, we want a clear step process to forgiving them. Hmm. And so we were, with my daughter, we were sitting on the couch, and um, she did it once, and I was like... She said, show me your hand, Daddy, show me your yeah. hand. Yeah, she said, show me your hand, and she she licked my hand. I'm like, that's disgusting. You get that spit smell, <laughs> and it's horrible. And then hmm. she said, give me your hand, and I'm like, you no, because you're going to lick it. No, I promise I won't. I gave her my hand back, she licked it again. <laughs> and so sometimes we conceive of you know, forgiving somebody as just giving them our hand back. But what if it's not that? And what if it's not whether we trust, whether I trust my daughter or not? What if it's not whether I think she's evil or not? What if it's, what if it's none of that? What if the kind of curiosity it takes for us to, to really enter into a process of forgiveness is about, you know, compassionately understanding that gives her so much joy to watch me squirm when she licks my hand. <laughs> and hopefully, and she has, she has grown out of that. Thankfully, I can yes. update that part of the book. Thank you, Lord. Great things. So, <laughs> prayers have been answered. <laughs> well, you know, you, I appreciate you, you know, being vulnerable enough to talk about that, but you drive the point home as far as, you know, the vulnerability part and asking, you know, it's okay to be curious about things. It's, uh, you know, why Why do you think, do you think maybe parents ruin that whole thing with kids, that they don't let them be curious, and after a while they just stop asking questions altogether? Yeah, I, I think there's several ways uh, that we as parents can limit that. One is by making it unsafe for them to ask questions. So one way to do that is to is to not celebrate good questions and not say, wow, that's really good. Hmm. The other way is for us to, to pretend like we know when we don't know. Uh, because to, it's, it's like anything else. If you're going to lead an organization, if you're going to parent a child, the best way to do that is to model it. It's always about, you know, it's that incarnational kind of presence, like I'm going to model this for you. And so for our kids, one way that we can keep their curiosity going is by showing them, showing them adults who keep it going. And so whether that's, hey, that's a good question, uh, whether that's not laughing at the question, 
and not, you know, sometimes they're funny and then you have to say, I'm sorry, it wasn't you. It's just that that was a funny question. Uh, but not ridiculing them for asking something because that's the native software for a child. That's, they're born with that. Curiosity is not something that we learn. It's something that we come out, we come into life with because it's the way we survive. As babies, like we, we own our world by learning how to ask mm. about it, even when that makes grown-ups uncomfortable. So it, with our kids, the way that we keep their curiosity alive is just by is either by normalizing it or by celebrating it and just you know, praising it, saying, that's a great question. Yeah, and you mentioned that. You mentioned that Jesus that. says that all the time, that uh, you know, I'll ask a question and say, hey, that's a good question. Or, yeah. <laughs> or if someone else doesn't know, it's that's okay. It's how he led as a, in discipling uh you know, the disciples, there used to be some sort of thing. I don't know if it was like uh, VH1 or something years ago where they say, you think you know, you have no idea. And, <laughs> you know, people are afraid to, you know, be in that kind of predicament. You look at the disciples, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, can I sit on your right hand or your left hand? You know, and you don't you don't realize what you're asking. You mentioned this in your book. And there are all kinds of different questions. Uh, Peter denying the Lord and, you know, do you love me? And he kept asking with a question. So I started thinking, gee, there are an awful lot of questions that are in the Bible alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which tells us something about, which tells us something about the scriptures is that if it's present there, some of it is the tradition of, uh, and you could speak to this too, this the tradition of how the Jewish people practice their faith. Mm-hmm. It was very much an asking kind of process between rabbis and students. There was a dialogue that went on, and then we, then the Greeks and then the Romans and then the Enlightenment, and we kind of we kind of lost that over time. Um, but Jesus, even himself, uh, if you count through the Gospels and you, some of them are overlapping, but they're included. You know, there's spaces where Jesus either asks or answers somewhere around 183 questions. And that's significant because if we do the math, Jesus had about three years to change the world. And that means equipping these really difficult to deal with disciples, <laughs> mm-hmm. teaching them and, and preparing them for him not to be in the flesh and instead the spirit to lead them and guide them to build this movement that is the kingdom of God. And so you would think that if, if it's that important of a task, he'd spend a little less time asking questions and a little more time giving direction. Uh, there should have been three-point sermons flying everywhere. I agree with that. I agree so with that because, knew, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. He knew without his own, yeah, I think, I believe he knew without his own presence. Uh, they needed asking question help, asking questions as far as faith is concerned and curiosity as far as faith is concerned helps us to own, to take possession of our faith. And you unpack something, too. You talk about that the rituals in themselves uh, in the Old Testament, well, actually the New Testament, and people were wondering why isn't Jesus going along with this as far as like the hand washing or certain rituals and ordinances, and that we kind of fall in love with these things in and of itself rather than ask the question, why, uh, what's behind all that? And that maybe Jesus wants us to ask and be curious of why we do these things rather than, what is it, that uh, fiddler on the, on the roof? Tradition is the yeah. reason why we do it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? I'm not going to sing, don't worry, no zero mustel here. But um, so, uh, but it is curious, and, and, and I'm going to up the ante, something that you mentioned in your book, because, you know, as Christians, we pride ourselves on communion, and you say... Can saints really break bread with Fritos? 
And I thought, yeah. you know, I started thinking, first time, that's insulting. How could, how could you do such a thing as have communion with Fritos? And then I started thinking, well, well, what if people have the same heart intention? And can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the one of the things about rituals is it, there's a tendency there's a tendency I've seen and I don't think it's everywhere but there's a tendency to either fully embrace a significant level of traditions and rituals and routines and habits or to jettison them entirely and kick them out and say you know that's old and that's stodgy and that's that's stiff and and it doesn't fit and it, you know we're 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 independent of that we don't um, but then you start looking at human beings, and we're designed for repeated action. Even people who say they're the most spontaneous people in the world have a routine. They've got something they do every single day that gives their life order, grounding, meaning, and purpose. And if they don't do it, they feel like they've left the house without their pants on or something <laughs> like that. And so when you look at something like communion, when Jesus says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me, I don't. I cannot see him saying. And what I mean by that is, it has to be done on this day of the month. It has mm. to be done this way. And in fact, it, it looks like he's building upon Passover, and so he's taking something that's already a tradition, and then recasting it and, and speaking about it differently, and then saying, "When you do this," and he's assuming that you're together when you do this. And saying the purpose of this is that you remember me. Right. And so, you know, rituals like we we do birthday is really big in my in my family. Uh, your birthday is should be the best week of the entire year for you. But sometimes schedules mean my daughter's in school on you know if it's if it's a weekend for example you know with me you being uh, in a local church and and serving there uh, all the services uh, if our birthday's on a weekend we may need to celebrate on a different day doesn't mean that it isn't your birthday anymore or you may not want cake that year you may say you know what i don't want cake i want to do this it doesn't change the fact that what we're doing is we're celebrating the fact that you were born and that you live and that existence is a miracle as heschel says um so the, the question is what's the point of the birthday the point of the birthday is to remember the person and so when it comes to jesus whether it's communion with fritos now also, you ever try that? You ever is, actually do it? What's that? <laughs> you, ever, you ever try it with Fritos? I mean, <laughs> no. you give it a try. Give it a give it a go. I, I think it's I think it's about necessity too. I, <laughs> I think if, if you've got another option, uh, you know, pick the other. If you got something more bread like smart, than that. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, you read if you read the uh, tradition of the first disciples um, when they did baptism. Sometimes there, you know, there's a whole manual about if there's not enough water for immersion, mm. you pour or you sprinkle. And now those, there are traditions that are born out of that. And I don't, I don't make any judgment on that. But it looks like what they were saying was the point is not necessarily just doing it this way. Mm. Now, communities of people have, have developed their whole life around that. You're so nice, Casey. Two Nilos Presbyterians, I'm telling you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be the bad guy here. I love the Presbyterian. Yeah, we do too. I do too. <laughs> so it's it's more about why are you doing this? And I think that's actually a more interesting question than mm -hmm. oh, we should do Fritos. It's why are you doing this? And especially right now, what is that? What significance does this have for you? And Jesus always points to the point of reflection. I mean, that's where he takes it, you know, with all the people in Scripture. 
to look anywhere. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's we're going to the Old Testament. We're talking about Moses or David, but the Lord always brings us to a place of reflection where he asks good questions. And we, you know, you just look at the inter dialogue between Job and God, where there was a whole bunch of questions. He wanted to know the answer. And yeah. God threw questions his way, and that made him more curious. First, he just wanted, give me a straight answer. And then he realized, oh, my goodness, in the questioning that I'm dealing with a holy, almighty God here. And so if that's what questions do, and that's kind of where your book is really all about, becoming curious, it gets us to think with that childlike faith about the kingdom and the glory and the power, you know, to be able to ponder who is this great and mighty God. Sometimes we just want the right answers rather than to reflect and be curious. That's that's what I got out of your book. Yeah, yeah. And what I hope is uh, there are friends of mine who uh, faith has been, living a life with Jesus has been difficult because they they find themselves in that spot naturally. And they ask they ask interesting questions. And then they, they worship and serve in churches where, I was talking to a group of pastors today about this. I said, I think sometimes we... We would rather preach Paul than Jesus because hmm. Paul is so much more practical and he tells us what to do. Yes. Whereas Jesus doesn't spend a whole lot of time on execution. He spends a lot more time on vision. You know, Love your enemies. Oh, that's great. How do we do it? Huh? And, then, and then there's a like an ellipsis. He doesn't spend any time on, okay, step one, here's how you love your enemies. He envisions it with his life. But for those of us in the 21st century where our enemies could be virtual, you know, how do I love my enemy on Facebook? How do I love my enemy when they live next door? How do I love my enemy when I it's it's not a person, it's a group of people? How do I love my enemy when they troll me on Twitter, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so there's a lot, you know, Paul gets into the weeds a little bit more. And so he's an easier three-point sermon than Jesus, who really sort of dodges... Dodge is giving us the answer so that we might ask better questions. Hmm. I, I love know that. I did that on purpose, but that's just you read the texture of the Gospels, and that seems to seems to come out of it. Yeah, and you can't really come to Jesus unless you really do come to the end of yourself, and there, there's got to be some questions there where you realize, am I all there is, or is there something more? I mean, he really draws out people. And I have to ask, of course, uh, becoming curious here, uh, what was the impetus for you to write the book? I mean, was it with you know your young dad? Was it with you know the the kids, or what made you write this book? You know, I wish I, I wish it was some sort of "Thus saith the Lord" moment where where I was <laughs> handed this idea. Honestly, it, it started very much as a project where I had written some articles, and I I have a consistent blog, and I'd always thought in the back of my head that I'd like to do this, and then one day I ran across an article by. Uh, a guy who's a writing coach, and he said, you know, if you write 2,000 words a day for 40 days or something like that, you'll have the you'll have the content, the raw content that can make up a decent length book. And so I saw that as a well, okay, let's let's just give that a shot. And so the writing began as just sitting down, and in the words of uh, another writing coach, you sit down and you open a vein and hmm. you just start to bleed and you let the words flow out. And so I started doing that. And as I started doing that, this idea of what I was seeing in the Gospels and Jesus asking questions, the idea of being a spiritual director, one of my one of my roles in that is just to ask open-ended questions that help people see where God is active. 
And so some of it was from there. I could see the power of a, a good question asked in a way that helped a person reflect on it. And then in pastoral ministry and working with people in crisis, seeing them come desiring answers and then getting the answer and sort of feeling pacified but not satisfied. And so all of those things, like two competing, like two air masses came together. And I started writing on this idea of what if curiosity is really part of what Jesus wants to use hmm. and is a central piece of what Jesus wants to use to help us to grow? And what if questions and even doubts, and I talk about in the book that I think sometimes doubts are just curiosity dressed like a villain. Hmm. Um, what if those things are actually the things that we should be grabbing a hold of Rather than rather than just purely pursuing certainty for certainty's sake because it feels safer. Two air masses coming together. We call that rain here in Florida. Yeah, we, you know? we're, we're calling it rain right now in Illinois. So. Yeah, we, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but the, Dr. Tigrit, you know, the hardest thing is when people go through a tragedy and things are going well. And all of a sudden they go through a tragedy and they cry out, why? How could you do this to me? Why did this happen? I mean, we've all been there and... That seems to be what, what happens then. I mean, sometimes we could turn away from God or our hearts get hardened, but not really understanding and asking those questions. A lot of people have come to Christ asking those questions, you know, and um, just kind of out of desperation. But can you talk about that? What happens when we don't know? And sometimes we don't we don't have all the answers. We want to be curious, but we're overwhelmed by by tragedy like the book of Job. Yeah. Yeah, for I've been a pastor since 1996, and I have read, I've read on that topic. I've I've thought about it. I've walked with people through it, and I don't know that I've ever come to a clear conclusion on how to on how to really bring someone through that and mm -hmm. to sa satisfy that question of why did this happen to me? Um, and there, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of intellectual exercises you can do about, you know, why do bad things happen to good people like me? Which normally leads to why do good things happen to bad people like them? And then that leads to why do good things happen at all? And then from there it can be to, if you wanted to take the curiosity one step further, you could say, what if I'm the bad person that someone else thinks good things happen to? And then, wow. so there's, there's this tunnel that happens, but we're usually so washed in emotions that what we don't want is questions. What we do want is an answer, but what I've found is that even answers, that's why things like, well, she's in a better place when you lose a loved one, just aren't, they just don't satisfy because it's something we think we want, and then once we have it, we realize how insufficient it is. And to me, that's, and this is maybe another book at some point, but this is the deep need of people of faith to recover the idea of lament. Hmm. And lament is just asking God that question why did this happen to me? Or why is this happening to anybody? Over and over and over again. And lament is a way of mourning. And so I feel like the questions operate differently. And as a person who uh, is just really passionate about the idea of spiritual formation, um, real life, real people becoming more like Jesus in normal, average, everyday situations this is going to be one of them. And so the pain can either shape us, and those, the questions can carry us through that shaping process, and we'll come through it with 
uh, wounds that will eventually yes. be scarred. Because you probably get that a lot being a pastor. You know, why did this happen to me? And people coming to you and, and demanding answers. You know, you're close to God. And, and uh, you know, that's honest answers that you're giving us that uh, you don't have that perfect pat answer, really. But you're walking with people. But I imagine you get that a lot, you know, when people yeah. in, in, in tragedy. There's a question that you ask. I thought it was kind of interesting in your book. You said to come asking. And uh, you said Jesus posed a significant question. First to James, John, and Bartimaeus, uh, what do you want me to do for you? And, yeah. you know, they then the blind man and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And and I want you to elaborate on that because you would think, of course, you know, you say that give me some sight. I mean, it's obvious. Don't, but you say that Jesus asked that question. What do you want me to do for you? And it's not always as obvious as we think. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that that story to me has had so much life. And mostly because I, I love it when the gospel writers, they, you know, Mark in that story, and I use Mark's version because the, the other version of James and John is a little different. But in Mark's version, the story of James and John and the story of Bartimaeus, who are both asked the exact same question by Jesus, are back to back. And it's not accidental, even though in our Bibles we have a little divide there and there's a there's a break, a thematic break. It's it's two halves of the same story. And what it shows us is Jesus, both both James and John and Bartimaeus, he asks them that question, and both of them have know what they want, but have no idea of the implications. So James and John, they they believe Jesus is, can do anything. So we're going to bring him our biggest request, and they say, "Hey, teacher, we want." Well, they don't say, "Hey," maybe it's in the Greek. <laughs> said, "Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask for us, whatever we ask." Which we look at and we're like, gosh, that's arrogant. Hmm. But at the same time, if it's if it if he is who they think he is, the the Messiah, God's King, the world's true King, coming to overthrow enemies and restore hope, uh, why not ask for the big stuff? Don't side with the B list. Let's ask for the big stuff. And so they ask him. Um, he and then he says, what can we do? What what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we want to we want to sit at your left and your right in your kingdom. We want to be vice presidents. Because they believed the way this is going to happen is because is the way of power. Mm, that's and right. God is going to take over through power. So there are these powerful guys, and Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking, and then he explains it, and so he takes them down. And then in the story of Bartimaeus, you have a guy whose name literally means, this is who my dad is. And so there's there's an identity question, and then as a beggar, there's a there's a marginalized question. So he is really on the edges of weakness, whereas James and John start on the edges of power. So when he comes to Jesus, he's asking to be brought up. And Jesus brings him up. But then the interesting thing about that is Bartimaeus' life just becomes very normal. He's, he's not a beggar anymore, so he can't go back to that. He has to now follow Jesus. He gets to follow Jesus, but now he has to figure out, how do I how do I do what I need to do? And so... The question is, if Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And we let him know what happens if the answer to that question makes life very, very normal. Yeah, and I thought about that. What if everyone asked, well, of course, you bring it up in the book that you know, if Jesus said, what would you like me to do for you? What, how would you answer that question? I mean, our audience listening, you know, you get that question. Jesus is saying, what would you like me to do for you? And what do you think the answer would be? Or what do you? I mean, it's, it's actually got me thinking. It really did. I think there's. I think some folks that I've met and that I've and I get this. It that question scares them. 
because it's not something we ever, it's not something we naturally think that Jesus would ever ask us because it should be, what can I do for you, Jesus? And the reality is Hmm. the world that Jesus was bringing was one in which the powerful like himself are the ones who serve first. And so that's, we don't think about that. And even in prayer class, when I help people learn how to pray and they say, my biggest challenge is I don't want to ask for things for myself. That seems selfish. And so I have to say, well, here's this, here's this passage where Jesus actually lets these two guys who are hotheads and his disciples ask for whatever they want. So if they get to, I think it's okay for you and I. Well, the big question I want to ask you, and that was well said, is what about cats? Yeah. You probably get that all the time when you wrote the book, you know, the curiosity killed the cat. And I started <laughs> I started last night. I was th- I couldn't sleep. And I know we have this interview, and I started thinking, where did that come from? I was reading it, and it was a little bit in Shakespeare and some other places. But, uh, you know, first it talked about the care of the cat anyway. And then it went to the curiosity killed the cat. But... Um, you know, that's how people think, though, isn't it? That you ask too many questions and uh, you can get in trouble here. You know, the kid in school who asked too many questions and, uh, and uh, what, what, you know, we don't get out for recess on time because the kid asked too many questions. But, uh, I'm glad that there are teachers out there that said, look, there's no dumb question. You just keep coming with it and asking and, um, and that's how we grow and learn. And that's why we can glean from this great book of yours, Becoming Curious, a spiritual practice of asking questions. Dr. Casey Tigret has been our special guest. And uh, I'll ask you one final question, though. Is there anything in your life where you would like to become a little bit more curious? Hmm. Well, this is an interesting season because I've just started a I've just started a brand new ministry role at a new church, and so that's a that's a place where my curiosity has been increasing, but needs to continue. So it's more about sustaining that, uh, learning a new culture, and then also learning uh, being a new person in a culture, a church culture, and a new city, and a new set of rhythms. Uh, what what are the most important things and why are those things most important? What are the pieces of my life and my story uh, that God wants me to reach into and tap into and give away and why? And how does that, what does that look like and how do I do that well? Um, and how do I stay, how do I continue to be a healthy soul hmm. uh, in the midst of, of doing that? And so that's one of those areas. Anytime you start a new project and you want to do it well, um, I think, I think that's a, that's a big part of it is how do we do this? How do we step into a new place and really fulfill the calling, the drawing, the skills and abilities and gifts that God wants to wants to use in this new place. Amen. Now, people, no doubt, will want to buy your book, and where can they buy it? And would you like to give out your website? Yeah, yeah. So you can the book's available on Amazon.com, uh, also on ChristianBook.com, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, launched uh, on May second. So it's it should be out there. I know um, Amazon is a little delayed in their delivery right now. So if you're not a Kindle user. It may take a little bit. You may want to look at another uh, vendor for that. Uh, my website is www.caseytigretmyname.com. And uh, anybody, if you subscribe uh, to my weekly blog, you'll actually get a free ebook that I wrote some time ago called The Jesus Rhythm, 
And it's about how do we find a rhythm of life that's healthy for our spiritual growth. So anybody that goes to the website and goes to this, the subscribe link will actually get a free copy of that uh, via PDF just for signing up and becoming a part of the a part of what's going on. Why didn't you tell me? I'm going to go on now. And I'm going to do that, you know? <laughs> well, you mentioned curiosity is essential to growth, and it moves us deeper into the lives of the people around us. It leads to opportunities we never knew existed. It helps us understand our own strange emotions, and it focuses on Jesus. Uh, will make you know us more like him. And again, Dr. Casey Tigret, he's a pastor at Heartland Community Church in Rockford, Illinois, where he says it's cold, but you're getting warmer. We appreciate you being on the program. The book is called Becoming Curious, A Spiritual Practice of Asking Questions. God bless you. Thank you. Bless you as well.